Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Your Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Well, hey, it's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. I'm excited because I have a Shelby expert here, historian, loves everything Ford and Mustang. So I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Jeff Berge. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Greg. I'm down here in Florida and it's plenty warm. No snow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. So I'm glad to hear that. It's actually nice and sunny here in Ohio today. So I reached out to you because I, I saw that you're quite the Shelby Ford Mustang expert, and I thought you would be pretty interesting to have on the podcast because I love all three of those. <laughs> uh, if you would, tell me how you got involved in those cars in general or just cars in general, and then some of your history with uh, the Shelby Club. Sure. Well, I'll start out with my dad. He, he liked cars, and uh, I kind of went along with that. You know, we had a 55 Ford Crown Victoria that we bought new. It was a really great car. And then in 1965, he bought a Mustang. A new Mustang was out. It was a fantastic car. White Mustang convertible with a V8 console, disc brakes. It was a fantastic car. That's what I drove to my high school prom and uh, graduation ceremonies and all that. Then in uh, 1971, my dad bought a Boss 351 Mustang. (laughs) It was getting to be quite a car that. And uh, he had it about a year, and then uh, Mom decided the Boss Mustang was not that much fun riding around town, so Dad sold the Boss 351 Mustang to me. And uh, at the time, I had about uh, five Mustangs, and uh, the collection was getting pretty big, and I was having trouble storing them all. So I thought, maybe I'll decrease my collection and concentrate on one car. So I bought a 1972 Daytona. Yeah, let me let me stop you for a second. So you you gave, gave me a lot of good information there. So one of your first cars you drove was a 289 four speed 65 Mustang. Is that right? Oh, my dad's car. And was then you mentioned a Boss 351, which, if I'm correct, so please correct me if I'm not, the Boss 351 was actually one of the fastest Mustangs, if not the fastest Mustangs, built up to that point. Zero to sixty time was even faster than the Boss 429, Boss 302. 428 Cobra yeah. Jets, correct? Yes, true. Yeah. Yep. It was very fast. That's really car. interesting because that was the much larger body style, and yet it outperformed the smaller cars from the earlier, uh, you know, the, the previous years, right? Yeah. It was a nice car, and that back window, I mean, it was almost flat. And when I wanted to pass somebody, I had to look around, but the only way to pass a car was just, Take your lane and put your foot in it because <laughs> you couldn't see what was out right, there. Right, right. So you, you ended up the pair down, and you actually 
upgraded out of quote unquote Mustangs into a Pantera, right? Right. That was my Italian Mustang. So I put the Boss 351 engine in it. I had a full roll cage installed in it. I put uh, Weber carburetors on it and uh, polished the wheels and uh, lowered the car and uh, had a lot of Now fun those are notorious car. for having horrible initial quality control <laughs> in place when uh they left the factory. Did you do you have any interesting stories you can share as far as uh you know having one of those back in the day when they were fairly new that you can share with the listeners? Well, actually, it was a pretty good car, but you had to read all the technical service bulletins because there were a lot of fixes as the car progressed between the different model years. They upgraded certain things in the car. And if you got the technical service bulletins from Ford, uh, you could make those upgrades to your current Pantera. You know, you could take an early one and put all the upgrades that they did, the cooling and, and all those other upgrades to it. The interesting thing is I worked, uh, I was laid off from Ford at the time working at a job shop in Detroit called Creative Universal, and they did the shop manuals for the Pantera. And uh, one of the issues that came up with the Pantera, they had uh, natural rubber seals in the hydraulic collection, the brake systems. And when they did the shop manuals, Ford took out all the European spec uh, fluids and wrote Ford fluids in there, which were not compatible with the rubber. <laughs> Oops. Fitting in the brake and clutch system. Whoops, a daisy. So if you change the Ford fluid, you're going to weep, you know, around those. Wow. Those okay. Wow. That's incredible. So you have the Pantera. Then where do you go from? Where do you go next on your, uh, let's say, let's say your collector car adventure? <laughs> well, I, I I loved open cars. I I had uh, you know driven my dad's convertible quite a bit, and I had a girlfriend back in high school that had a Mustang convertible, so I really liked convertibles. Well, and I had a couple Sunbeam Tigers, which, of course, were open cars. So I, I, I want to do a Cobra kit car. I want to be in a Roadster and have something open air. So I sold the Pantera and kept the Boss 351 engine and started uh, working on my process to uh, get a Cobra okay. replica. Okay, all right, all right. And then I know you got started with the Shelby Club fairly early on, correct? Yes, I uh, I bought my first Shelby in 1971. And then the Shelby Owners Association uh, was going on, so I joined that club. And then they eventually uh, uh, dissolved, and SAC, or the Shelby American Automobile Club, started in 1975. And I joined that club, and I was on the board of directors of that club for about 30-some years. And uh, we have a national convention every year, and we rent a racetrack each year so the guys can get out and exercise their cars in safety. And I've had a lot of fun doing that and a lot of met a lot of really nice people and seen a lot of racetracks around the country. So let's go ahead and get the plug in for 2021. Do we know where the next meet will be? No, we don't. We actually had to cancel the 2020 meet. Unfortunately, the 45th anniversary was canceled. And uh, we have a lot of problems dealing with tracks and setting track dates because we're a small club and the big, big tracks would like to have, you know, a NASCAR race or something like that instead of a (laughs) small car club. Right. Right. Even though we have 5,000 members, we only get maybe 1,000 come to a convention. So that's pretty small potatoes for a big race. Yeah, track. so now what was the first Shelby that you bought? I have to know that. It was a 1966 TT350, serial number 1206. I looked for one for a couple of years because back in those days, the Hertz cars were considered to be less valuable than the non-Hertz cars. Shelby built uh, almost 1,000 GT350H cars, and most of them were painted black. And I didn't really care for black. It's a beautiful color, but it's really tough to keep clean. 
and I loved white because my dad's white convertible in white. My mother's Comet Caliente had been white. And uh, so I bought this 66 Shelby, and I, I remember driving it home on a windy road and thinking, boy, I am sitting on top of the world. And a week or so later, I uh, stepped into the back seat to uh, put the back seat up because the must, early Mustang Fastbacks had a fold-down back seat, and I almost fell through the floor. <laughs> so I guess I didn't do my due diligence on checking it underneath the car. I was just too excited about actually owning a Shelby. And I thought, well, I've, I've got one that's, it's not a Hertz car, and I got a pretty good deal on it. And one day at the quarter car wash, I was painting or spraying it down, and, and there was paint blowing off the doors. Uh-huh. So I decided I had to go and get it painted. So I had the old car painted. When they started changing down, I said, well, you got there's gold stripes on this car underneath the blue stripes. <laughs> so it had been a Hertz car. Wow. And what year was it that this occurred? Uh, well, that was 1971 when I bought that so car. So the car is only... Five years old, and it had a repaint that was going bad. <laughs> well, you know, Michigan and Ohio, we're in the rough. Oh, that's zone. true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back in those days, you drove them year round. You know, I mean, I actually, actually, I, I took that Shelby and put it away in the winter and drove the Boss three fifty one for my winter car. <laughs> Did you put snow chains on it? <laughs> no, no, that no. would have been really great. Let's get a picture of that. Wow. Okay. So you're driving yeah. around in your uh, your GT350. Did you repaint it to, to back to the original Hertz colors? No, I have painted it white with blue because at that time, you know, putting the gold stripes on it would have devalued it. These days, everybody loves the Hertz cars, and back, actually because they're black, you know, that's a very popular color for a, a collector car. And uh, these days, there's there's not really any price difference between a Hertz car and a non. You know, it's so car. funny you say that because I was at the Arm Sotheby's Elkhart sale a couple of weeks ago, and there was a '66 Hertz car, and it was one of the first '80 that was four-speed, which is tremendously mm-hmm. desirable, and it was the yeah. black with the gold. Sure. And they had the estimate, I want to say, two twenty-five to two fifty, and I was like, I've never seen one sell for above one seventy-five or so, and so I thought that was a an aggressive estimate. And it had a replacement yeah. block with a, it was a '67 K code replacement block. I'll be darned, that thing hammered for two thirty five or two forty five. It was like right in the middle of wow. estimate. So you're right. There really oh, there great. is not a difference nowadays between, you know, the Hertz cars and the regular cars, unless it's an automatic, then you know, folks don't want the automatic as yeah, much as yeah, that, that makes a difference. Right. Now, that that first Shelby of mine, uh, you know, I, I, I lowered the the front end, the uh, crop the upper controls like Shelby did on, on the sixty five cars. Added a rear sway bar, big, bigger tires and wheels, put a roll bar in it, and used to autocross it quite a bit. Well, I ended up uh, selling it, and part of the reason for getting rid of the Shelby and, and the, the Tigers and all that was this, the Shelby was uh, pretty rusty. And uh, one time I was at the track at Nelson's Ledges, and I came into the pits after a couple of hot laps, and I noticed the back window moldings were popping out. Oh, boy, this thing is just getting a little too loose. <laughs> so, so I sold that car in 1975. Sold it for twice for what I paid for. Though I did really oh, great. Yeah. Well, here last last year on Bring a Trailer, my old Shelby, which is now not not a concourse car, it's a clapped out race car, sold for one hundred and ten. Were you the winning bidder? No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> you could have had it back in your garage. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I'd love to have that Pantera back. I'll tell you. Yeah. So whoever owned your car most recently had turned it into uh, basically a road racer. Yeah, it actually went through a couple couple owners, and then uh, probably ten or fifteen years ago, somebody had turned it into a, a track open track car, 
and the, now this great. is called the collector car podcast so do you have any collector cars or shelby's in your garage right now well my collector car would be my uh 289 fia era cobra replica but it's got the, the boss engine that i took out of the uh Boss Mustang and out of the pan. Oh, wow, you still have it. Most of that engine with, with, Weber, with the Weber carburetors is in that car. And, uh, again, it's all modified. I, You know, I, I just don't do concourse. I like to drive my cars, have fun with them, and take them to shows and, and run them on the track. So it's, it's set up for, for track. I've got a roll roll cage in it, sidebars in it that I, I designed. And the, the roll bar, typically on a Cobra, the, the 289 Cobras, the roll bar was braced to the front. And the 427 Cobras, it was braced to the back. Well, mine's braced in both directions. You could pick that car up with a hook by that roll bar. <laughs> well, that's really great. So now, how long have you had that Boss 351 engine? Well, since new, That's really cool. That's cool to see that you hung on to that throughout all these different cars that has gone in and out of. So, all right. Well, that's really cool. Now, is there a car that is on your wish list currently that you're actively seeking? Well, I'm, I'm looking to buy back my 1957 Thunderbird. I had one. I bought it in 2002, just before I retired from Ford. And when I moved to Florida, you know, I, I had I had a three-car garage and an enclosed trailer and a lift. So I had room for about four or five collector cars back then. And, of course, my car and the wife's car sat outside in the snow. But uh, when I moved to Florida, I moved into a condo with a one-car garage. And uh, I rented a, a garage. But uh, I sold my 65 K-Code Mustang convertible. Oh. I sold my 57 Thunderbird. And, uh, you know, then I, I, the guy, the Thunderbird, I gave the guy the normal deal a collector does who really loves his car. He's not getting rid of it because he can't stand it. He, he loves it, but he just needs to get rid of it. I told him, if you ever decide to sell this car, please give me a call. Two years later, he calls me up and says, yeah, I'm ready to sell the car. You know, I, I need some money. So I bought it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept it a couple more years. And uh, I regret selling it another time. And uh, I've been kind of watching trading times, bring a trailer and, and uh, eBay to, and Craigslist to see if it pops up wow, for sale. Wow, wow. Okay. Well, now I have to ask because it's one of my dream cars. What were the specs on your K-Code convertible? It was a 1965 GT uh, Wimbledon white with a red pony oh. interior, disc brakes. Actually, I converted it to an automatic. I got a bum leg, so it, it, you know some of the fun went away taking the four-speed out of it. But uh, it was a supercar. In fact, I was uh, interviewed by Dennis Gage on my classic car with that car in uh, 2002. Oh my goodness! I think I actually saw that episode because I'm in love with hypos, and so I would go back and yeah. see all the ones I could. So, wow, that's really amazing. That is a great car. Now, did you put? Did it have the red GT stripe on the side? Yes, it did. It had a red GT stripe on the side. I did the uh, Shelby drop uh, modifications to the upper control arms and export brace and uh, Monte Carlo bar on the engine compartment. I bought an Edelbrock F4B intake, which is uh, very the runner shape is similar to a stock four-bell Ford manifold. And I filed off the Edelbrock and then painted it black, so I had a high-rise intake on there. I basically had the 306-horsepower Shelby engine there. It had the, the hypo exhaust manifolds on it. And it was it was a slick car. I put frame contract connectors on it, and uh, it was a beautiful car. It drove really great, and uh, I hated to sell it. But again, I, when I moved to Florida, I needed <laughs> to unload a few. Now, cars. do you have any Shelby barn finds you can share with me or hypo? I just remember when I was in college at Florida State, I was Shelby nuts, but I had not one single penny to my name, and I found a sixty sixty eight GT three fifty underneath a tarp convertible. 
in the backyard of a house and I knocked on the door and I could tell that they knew what it was worth because they had a cobra frame cover picture on the wall and you know of course how it goes it was parked it had you know hit a pole or something and they didn't have time to fix the radiator so it'd been parking under parked under a tent for years weren't interested in selling it and I went back there like 15 years later and it was gone when I finally had enough funds to buy a a basket case Shelby it was gone so do you have any stories like that you could oh, share yeah. with us well I've got a couple of field fines I'll take a field <laughs> fine field I, I fines actually, are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was working at Ford in Michigan and, and visiting back home in Ohio pretty regular. And one afternoon, as I was heading back to Michigan, I took a different route back, and I saw a Pantera sitting in a yard. And so I stopped and went over to look at it, and the car had been sitting there so long there was grass growing up into the floorboard. And so I wrote a note, you know, I left a note on the car. I said, please give me a call. I'm interested in this car. And I never heard from the guy, and the next time I came down a few weeks later, the car had been moved. It disappeared, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> didn't want, you know, somebody found it, didn't want to take, have anybody else to deal with it. And then the, the biggest find I found was in Medina, Ohio. There used to be a guy out there who did turbochargers, and he, and he sold uh, takeoff tires. When you lived in Akron, Ohio, you could get takeoff tires from the big tire company. So I always bought used takeoff tires. And I was out there buying some uh, BFGTAs for my Shelby GT350, and I was wait- he was on the phone or working on something, and I was wandering around behind the shop, and out in the field I saw this rusted hulk of something that looked like a Ford GT. It was an actual Ford GT40 that had what? burnt up. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a guy in Ohio, a P1070, I believe was the number of the car. A gentleman in Ohio bought this car. It was a... Uh, Series 1 Mark 1 Ford GT, which was not the street car that they made the Mark III several years later. And uh, this, this gentleman fueled up, and something happened, and his uh, fuel tanks caught fire. And, of course, on the Ford GT, you're sitting right next to the fuel tank. And the, the guy was seriously injured uh, in the fire. And when I saw the car in the early 70s there, it was still under litigation. And uh, the Hulk was sold. A new car has been constructed. I ran into the guy at the uh, Michigan Woodward Avenue Dream Cruise a few years ago, and but I didn't bring that up because I didn't figure he'd want to talk. So you ran it. into the guy that had the fire, or that it, that it was his car? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. He he yeah. would be upset about that. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he wouldn't want. Wow. To talk about okay. It. Yeah, for sure. Now, if I gave you a hundred thousand dollars, what would you buy for a hundred thousand dollars? Just to be clear, I'm not going to give you a hundred thousand dollars, but if I did. What would you yeah. buy? <laughs> well, I'd see if I could finagle a deal on the supercharged 57 Thunderbird. You know, they, they usually go for more than 100, but maybe I get one that needs a little work. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That you that way you'll get back your the car you really want, the car you're searching for. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so you've been going to these SAC meetings for how long now? 45 for 45 years. years. What are some of the changes you have seen? Um, I guess more from the the fan base. You know, so. When you first went there, I bet it was probably 15 people, and now, you know, there's probably a couple hundred people now, and a lot newer cars. Is there anything you can speak to it that you've just, I don't know, an observation you've noticed over the last 45 years, as far as things that have changed either within the uh, the club or, I don't know, just the feel of the club, the participants who are in the club, the activities you guys do, anything from that respect you might be able to talk to? Sure. When the first uh, conventions came about, we didn't have any track events. It was just a car show, and it would be a popular vote car show. 
And then after a few years, we migrated to where we had two car shows. We had a popular vote car show, and then we had a concourse. You know, in 1971, we weren't too hot on concourse. We were, we were all just driving our cars. The cars weren't that old. Right. They weren't that valuable, you know. And uh, we drove them to the events. These guys were driving 427 Cobras to the convention from, you know, four or 500 miles away. And, of course, these days, they started they started driving on, on uh, two, you know, two dual axle trailers. Well, these days, they, they arrive in tractor trailer rigs. <laughs> right. so guys, guys got a huge... GMC vehicle of some kind, you know, it looks like a like a uh, Wells Cargo truck with with a bed on the back of it or a tilt tilt bed, and uh, you know the guy's got a fortune in equipment to haul his car around. And the first couple of conventions, you know, there was nobody there with a tent. There were no setups like that, and uh, you know, the people have gotten older. You know, a lot of us were in our 20s and 30s back in the 70s, and uh, of course we've gotten much older now. We're, a lot of us are in our 70s got gray hair and, and uh, unfortunately some of us have sold our our original shelby's we used to have some of the guys hung on to them of course shelby built some newer cars in uh, 2006 7 8 and up until present and we have a lot of those cars coming to the conventions and those cars are a little more comfortable to drive than a 1965 or 66 tt50 that just has side pipes and no air, air conditionings and, and windows that you have to roll down. The new cars have got uh, power steering, power brakes, air conditioning, you know, Mach 460 sound system, and they're comfortable <laughs> cruisers. You know, the people are having fun. Yeah, with. it's back to able to drive it every day and take it to the track and drive it home. It's much more the reliable type oh, of yeah. car, you know, that you're talking about. Well, that's really cool. So you definitely have a lot more of the newer generation than participating at the club meets now, correct? Yes, we do. Yep. Yeah. And we're getting some of the younger people, not not as many of the young people as we need. I belong to a bunch of car clubs, Thunderbird Club and the, and the Mustang Club and the Cobra Club and the Shelby Club. And a lot of our members are, you know, getting older. Right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely need to engage that next generation to keep things going. Hopefully they can afford some of the Shelbys. <laughs> so, yeah, that's <laughs> probably the biggest thing. He's got to afford the old ones. So, well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I like to do at the end of these, and I don't think, I think I gave you a heads up, is I'm bad about not giving a heads up. Yeah. So uh, it's a little game I call Keep, Cash, and Crush. So I pick out three cars for you, and you have to tell me which one you want okay. to keep forever, and there's no T-Birds in this one, which one you want to <laughs> cash in, and then which one you don't mind sending to the Crusher, which if I do my job right, you'll wanna, you don't want to send any of them to the Crusher, but you're going to have to pick one, okay? Okay. All right, so I made this really hard on you. Like, I would really struggle on this one. So I'm giving you three Shelbys. They're all basically the same price point, so <laughs> but that doesn't make it any easier. Uh, let's see. Let's start with a 65R model GT350, most iconic Shelby out there probably, or Shelby Mustang out there. For sure. You know? And then yep. the next one, let's make it a 63 Shelby AC Cobra 289, obviously, with being a 63. And then the last one, which I think is probably one of my dream cars, is a 1966 GT350 convertible, one of four ever built. You can pick your color. Uh, of those three cars, which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And then which one you don't mind crushing, which I know you'll mind, but we'll have to do it anyways. Uh, so, oh. yeah, just to review, 65 Shelby GT350R, 63 AC Cobra, and then the 66 GT350 convertible. Boy, that's so tough. <laughs> All right, I, I'd keep that convertible because I love convertibles. I, I've I've really loved those '66 Shelby convertibles. 
and the, probably the red one would be the one. Yeah, that red one just sold a couple of years ago, I think for like $740,000 or so, right? Yeah, yeah, getting up there. Yeah, and the green one sold and, a couple of months ago for $1.3 million, I think, one point two something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that green one, I, I've seen, seen that car around since, since the 70s. The guy can't bought that to one of the Shelby conventions in the 70s. And uh, that was the same. And the blue one, too, which was at one of the early Shelby conventions, uh, John Aspect had that one also. That's a shame. He had such a beautiful collection of cars. So I guess then I'd uh, sell the uh, Colt for because it's probably going to be worth close to a million. I crushed the R model. <laughs> oh, <laughs> crushed the R model. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, but I, I appreciate it. That's that's bold. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, they keep getting close to a, to a million, but... Uh, well, I think one just went one one just went for one point two here recently. Actually, one just went for three point seven, I think. But it was the Ken Miles car, the very first one, which you can understand that. So, oh yeah, that, yeah. they're not all worth that now, obviously. No. <laughs> so, no. not and not every not every green '67 Mustang fastback worth three point seven. Uh, <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.